It's Mattress Firm's President's Day Sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. The Tuesday edition of the Daily Jungle brought to you by Fan Exchange. Listen, are you thinking about buying tickets for your favorite sporting, concert, or theater event? Maybe you want to experience a basketball game, but this time you want to do it courtside rather than sitting right there in your living room. Maybe you want to be at a hockey game banging on the glass instead of on your TV in your house. Then head on over to FanExchange.com for a safe, easy, and reliable experience. Tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed, so you don't have to worry about getting to the gate and not getting in. So whether it's the NBA, Major League Baseball, wrestling, a Broadway musical even, Fan Exchange gets you closer to the action. Find the best seats at the very best prices at FanExchange.com. You want to use the promo code ROAM. Be sure to use the promo code ROAM, and that will save you 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange. We have tickets. Use the promo code Rome. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, I did say yesterday, and I meant it yesterday, the Philadelphia 76ers are coming. I also said yesterday, and I meant it yesterday, the last night was going to be a battle. It was going to be a grind. The Philadelphia wasn't just going to blast their way through the entire series, hitting 64% of their shots from beyond the arc, on the way to sweeping four in a row by double digits. I never said that. In fact, I said that was not going to happen because you knew Miami was going to bounce back and knew they'd bounce back hard, that they were going to make life tough for Philadelphia, try to slow the game down, control the pace, keep the scoring down, and then get really physical with it. You know, essentially play 90s basketball, play Pat Riley basketball. What I did not expect was that Dwayne Wade would play 2006 basketball, but Dwayne did. And let's be clear, that was not wow or whoa or how or whatever baggy gloss he gave himself. That was straight up flash. Flash was in the building last night. 26 minutes, 28 points. Seven boards, three assists, and a couple of steals. Watching that game last night, I was thinking, what the hell is this? And even this morning, I'm thinking, what the hell was that? And it wasn't like this guy was out there gunning. He was 11 of 16 from the field, and pretty much everything he did worked. He outscored Philly all by himself in the final 15 minutes of the first half, 21 to 20. He essentially iced the game with a 23-footer with less than 48 seconds to go. I mean, what kind of weird, whack, magic potion did this guy slam before the game last night? Because that looked more like the freak who put up 35-8 and in the 06 finals than the guy who put up 11 points in game one on a couple of jacked-up knees. I mean, seriously, how the hell does a guy that old get that nice in that spot? How do you explain that? How do you explain that guy doing that? Well, according to Wade himself, it was all Kevin Hart. I mean, seriously, yes, I know how that sounds. Like one of those plots of a paint-by-numbers comedy. You know, the aging dude on the verge of retirement, icing down his knees after work every single day. You know, in short, this guy's getting too old for this bleep. But suddenly, they partner him up with a wise-cracking sidekick, and he finds the fountain of youth. How many times have we seen that horrible movie? Except that's not what this is. This is less buddy cop and more Miller v. Spike Lee. I mean, apparently, Hart was talking junk to Wade all game long, and Wade was talking back and staring him down as he walked off the court at halftime and kept on going at him in the second half, too. And then they kept going at it on Twitter even after the fact, with Hart tweeting, see you in Miami, Dwayne Wade. It's not over. And Duanye responding with, you can't come to Miami. (laughs) Hey, Kevin, listen. I respect the hustle. I respect the fact that you're repping the Sixers. 
And there's no way that you're going to sit courtside in a playoff game and you're not going to talk. I get that. But there's a very good chance that you're not helping them. You're hurting them, man. And you should not be talking to Dwayne Wade. Because if that's what happens, when you talk to Dwayne, I'd go full a quiet place on him in game three and just use sign language. That's not helping kids. It's hurting them, Rome. And you shouldn't be talking to this guy during the game, man. As for the Sixers, seems to me they did just get a taste of their own blood. That's their first loss in over a month, and I don't get the sense that they like that one bit. But I do get the sense that they're going to bounce right back. It's playoff basketball. There is a level of physicality that is allowed in playoff ball that does not go on during the regular season. Philadelphia knows that now, and you know they're going to adjust. And yes, I am aware of Joel Embiid's Instagram post, the one where he said that he was, quote, bleeping sick and tired of being babied, end quote. And no, I don't care. Doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I kind of like it on some level. Scout wants to be on the floor in the team's biggest games of the season. That's not controversial. I mean, maybe you don't go F-bomb on Instagram, but that's not a thing at all. This guy wants to rejoin the fight. He wants to be out there with his brothers, and it's killing him that he can't be. If anything, it's the magic of Joe. This is a guy who is on social media, a guy who gives it to you straight, and the straight truth is he wants to be out there with his guys in the moments that matter and not on the bench. But... The team also has to protect him from himself at times. They want him out there too, but you can't run this guy out there and run the risk of him re-injuring himself, even if it is the postseason. They want him out there. He wants to be out there, and he'll be out there as soon as they can get him out there. What I'm saying to you is, you just have to trust Sixers head coach Brett Brown because Brett Brown knows exactly what the hell he's doing. Trust Brett Brown. And most of all, trust the process. Trust the process. They'll be fine. Trust the process. They'll be fine. Trust the process. He'll be fine. Trust the process. It's all good. Trust the process. Game three. Trust the process. And credit to Miami. And most of all, Duanye. I had no idea Duanye still had that in him. That was insane. Hence my tweet last night. Wade is ridiculous. That's why they brought that guy back. They brought that guy back for those moments, for that game, and to be that guy. And he got loose last night. Duanye. Tip of the hat, Duanye. Very nice effort. 1-800-636-8686. Brett Brown joins us momentarily to talk about that. Okay, elsewhere, I want to talk about the Spurs, and I want to talk about Golden State. Yes, I know Spurs fans. It would be a lot different if you had Kawhi Leonard. Right. I'm sure it would. Just like it would be a lot different if Golden State had Steph Curry. I want to get into this Kawhi Leonard thing and whether or not he's doing the right thing by not playing right now. Again, this whole thing is so bizarre and it's so weird. You've got a franchise player, a guy who was absolutely beloved by the organization and seemed to love that team too, but then he gets hurt, significantly injured, and the team's medical staff has cleared him to play, but his own medical team has not. So did he quit on the team or is he doing the right thing? You know, we've touched on this. We've talked about this. I really want to get into this and do a deeper dive. I want to break this down. Is he doing the right thing, or does he owe that organization more? If you already have an opinion, hit me right now. We'll have that. Baseball, you see Bryce Harper last night get sawed off. Bryce Harper gets sawed off and somehow still hits the ball 400-plus. Only Harper. I've got thoughts on it. Let's check out the tweets right away. At J.P. Emmett, first one in. He tweets, just because Duanye went Duanye last night does not mean the Heat can finish the Sixers. Trust the process. And the process will be on the floor Thursday. Who's saying the Heat can finish the Sixers? I'm not saying that. I'm saying I knew they'd bounce back. And I knew they'd bounce back hard. And that the level of physicality in the postseason is something totally different from the regular season. And now Philadelphia knows it. And Philadelphia is going to adjust. Philadelphia has not been through this before. This process is good for them. They'll be fine. He'll be fine. Coach Brett Brown is my guest. Brett, good morning. So good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Good to speak to you. It's good to visit with you, Coach. Now, you had that huge win in Game 1. You knew the series was not going to be easy. So what was your message to your team after last night's game? That it, it's such a typical sort of response from 
from any team, and and especially you know a Miami Heat team. I got tremendous sort of respect for the culture that Coach Riley built, and and Eric Spolster has done such an amazing job uh, inheriting and, and moving it forward. And you know they're going to come in and they they lose game one. Uh, the response was physical. It was very desperate. Um, and uh, I give them credit. I give them credit. And so we look forward to going down to Miami and trying to uh, to reclaim a few wins. Clones, I think you know you are what you drive, especially here in Southern California. We have an enormous car culture. People care about their cars. People care how they look. You want to keep that whip looking fresh like sports. Car care is a game of numbers. The best number for you to know, 303 Automotive Premium Protectants and Cleaners. They're designed to clean, shine, and protect. 303 products undergo rigorous testing to ensure superior performance and outstanding protection and to bring out that show car finish. From your dashboard to your tires, 303 keeps your car looking amazing, looking new longer. 303, we've got your number. For more information, check out my friends at 303radio.com. They know exactly what they're doing. Your car will look amazing. 303radio.com. Brett Brown joining us. You know, to your point about them responding the way they did, and especially with a physical brand of basketball, what did you make of how your team responded to that physical response? I think we struggled in the second period. You know, if you look at the score line, like we, we won the first period, we won the third period, we won the fourth period. The second period, there was uh, a lot of things that we need to improve on. And if you like, if you just zoom into you know sort of that period, you're really going to learn a lot. And I think the physicality was was something that I give them credit. You know, they drove some of our players sort of upward. You know, they they sort of bent us over at times uh, trying to deliver balls. And as I said at the beginning, Jim, it's a it, it wasn't a mystery to to any of us how we thought they were going to play, but to speak it. And, and versus sort of execute against it, um, you know, I give them credit. They did a good job in that second period. And then, Brett, I would imagine it was not a big surprise either to see the way Dwayne Wade responded. He's one of the all-time greats, and that's why they brought him back for moments like that, games like that, 28 points, seven rebounds, three assists, a couple of steals. What was going through your mind when you saw him play the way he played? I mean, Jim, it was it was just classic Dwayne Wade stuff, and – when you look at the box score, you know, you, you feel he must have had a great game, and it's true. When you're coaching against him and the way that he scored and, and the timely baskets, there were a few times I felt the game was in the balance, uh, you know, and was starting to swing. I really could feel momentum swinging. And he would come up with daggers. He really came up with big baskets when it mattered most. And that was the most impressive thing I felt about his performance. We'll all look at, you know, 28 points, but how he got those 28, uh, some of them were killers during momentum sort of uh, stoppers. Sixers head coach Brett Brown joining us. Brett, I want to talk to you for a minute about Ben Simmons. He was an absolute monster in game one, and that was his first playoff game ever. J.J. Redick said before that game, quote, Ben specifically is not affected by the pressure, end quote. I mean, is that how it feels to you? And then how do you explain the fact that somebody so young could be so unaffected by pressure like that and the big stage? Yeah, it, it, in two questions you've asked. Yes, it does feel like that to me also. And, and now in regards to how can that happen with somebody so young, you know, we're all wired. We're all raised. We're all wired differently. We all sort of deal with situations differently. And it's a thing that that has stood out to me throughout the year, Jim, that that has caught me completely off guard. Everybody sort of questioned, are you really going to try to make a college foreman a point guard? And, and by the way, he's six foot ten. And there were so many things that, that didn't sort of align or gel or feel right to many people. And, you know, I felt like I saw something in him that I wanted to pursue. Uh, I'm glad that, that, that I did it. What I didn't know was he actually was going to have a poise and sort of an inner peace of calmness where he could handle things, you know, internally. I felt like I, I knew his physical gifts. I knew his desire to pass. But I didn't know really 
the thing that you're talking about. And um, he's very, very unique to the league, and, and we're thrilled that he's ours. Yeah, Brett, I want to stay on that point for one minute. Let's be very clear about this now. You were the only one who saw him as a point guard. Even his own father said, I'm not sure that's the right way to go. So when everybody else had questions, how did you know that that was the spot for him? Gut feel. You know, just gut feel. It's like I had the unusual background like I knew his mom and his dad before they were married you know I knew of Ben you know when he was born Uh, I coached his father for five years and you know I'm the son of a coach and I got a young son that plays basketball now like that AAU sort of thing going around he's 13 years old and when you when I look back and I saw Ben young and you spoke to his junior coaches and then you watched him in high school and you watched him at LSU, you, you would see tendencies where he wanted the ball. If you were to go into like an, a game of eight-year-olds, there's about four players that come always back for the ball. There's four guys that want to be a point guard. Then they get to about 14, and there's probably three guys that still want to come back to the ball and be a point guard. And by the time they're 16, you've got two guys fighting for who's going to be a point guard. He's done that his whole life. He's always wanted the ball. And when I saw that sort of characteristic – and you connect the dots with my sort of upbringing and me just being a coach for a long time, I felt like it was worth the try. Like, I really felt like he could do it. The, the stuff you talked about with his poise, though, Jim, I didn't know that also was a part of his package. Sixers head coach Brett Brown, my guest. Brett, i got to ask you about your son. You mentioned you've got a 13-year-old son playing AAU ball. I mean, I would never, ever compare me to you, but I'm curious, what's it like to watch him? I mean, as a father, I've got a couple of kids in club baseball. Brett, watching them is more nerve-wracking to me than anything I do in my day job. What's it like <laughs> for you to watch your 13-year-old son play? Isn't it funny, Jim, because I, I go into the gym, and, you know, if I go to the game with my wife, I'll go to one corner of a gym and sit by myself. Sure. And I've done it for years, and, you know, she'll at times come sit with me, but she knows I don't really speak at all. And most times she'll go with other parents, and I just go up into a corner and just, you know, shut up and watch the game. And so I, I hear you. It's, uh, it is my greatest joy, though. I, I have to say that. It's a thrill you know, just, just watching him compete and being able to share my environment and sort of my profession to try to, you know, help him. That, that stuff you, is, is, is equally sort of satisfying to me. And so it's, uh, it's still for sure one of my great joys. Brett Brown joining us for a few more moments. Brett, Joel Embiid obviously was frustrated after the game about, quote, being babied, as he put it. You know he wants to play. I know you appreciate his, his desire to get back on the court, but at the same time, you don't want to rush him back, obviously. So what's the next step in that process, and do you have a sense when he might be available? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a complete confliction, isn't it? Because you got, you got this, you know, young, uh, incredibly competitive person that has had so many setbacks and fought his way through things, you know, and ended up out of completely sort of unlikely circumstances playing a high volume of games that nobody expected. You know, we end up having a tremendous season. He ends up being selected to the all-star team. And, you know, things are moving. And then he's got that sort of incredibly unusual injury um, that, that, that has put him out. So, like, he's trying to fight and get back with his teammates you know, you have doctors that are trying to make sure they do the right thing for the long term with his health. I'm trying to get him in, in as best shape as I can, you know, trying to find the protective mask that's most comfortable and doesn't sort of obstruct too much vision line stuff. And so there's a whirlwind of emotions. And, and you know, we were winning for the most part, you know, over the past month, we'd won 17 games in a row. You know, some of them, I think half of, half of those with him. And so, like, he's just voicing his displeasure of not being able to be with his team, not play in front of the Philadelphia fans, not being able to compete. And so somewhere, Jim, I expect there will be resolution, I hope soon, but we're keeping it moving. And, you know, Joel's heart is in the right place as he voiced his frustration. So then finally, Brett, when you get that resolution, how much does the series change and your approach on both ends change when he does come back? Yeah, no, fair point. Like without Joe, we have been we play fast, we shoot threes, and you know we lead the NBA in passes. The ball flies around the gym, and we're we're proud of those types of things. I, I believe that we've taken sort of the realities and, and and strengths of our team and tried to structure 
um, the the offense, you know, to the strengths. And so now here comes Joe. You have two things that, that stand out when you inherit Joel back into the mix. Defensively, there is a seven foot two. I think the I think the defensive player of the year. I give a lot of respect to Rudy Gobert in, in Utah, but I'm biased, of course. And so you got a defensive presence that we do not have right now. And I think when the game is going fast and that's just, you know, at times not working, which in the playoffs that can happen, you can just dump the ball inside to Joel. And, like, I lived that world with Duncan for all 12 of my years with Pop. You know, those guys with Manu and Tony, with everybody's flying around, then the game would require something different. And you had a legitimate target in Timmy, obviously. And I think you have that in Joel. And so defense, offense, he, to me, makes us whole. He is a difference maker. And I sure look forward to uh, to getting him back as soon as I'm able. Sixers head coach Brett Brown joining us. Once again, he led that team to 52 wins in the regular season. The series now shifts back to Miami. Brett, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I know you're in the heat of the battle. And to come through this morning for that conversation is just awesome. Brett, thank you very much. And always good to have you on the show. Yeah, always good to speak to Jim. Thanks for having me. So on this Tuesday, I've got a brand new sponsor that I want to tell you about because this is an amazing service, HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. That's what I like best about it. It's all right there. And there are three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. And it's all so easy, so you can feel confident when cooking HelloFresh with the simple recipes, which are outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards. Because HelloFresh believes that cooking should be simple and convenient and not some sort of chore. You're not going to spend all night in the kitchen because the recipes, once again, only take about a half hour. So get out of the recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box. Literally, my family, we do this as a family. The food comes in, we check out the recipes on the cards, and we all knock it out together. It's a blast. So you want to jump on this right now. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code DAILYJUNGLE30. Once again, for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code DAILYJUNGLE30. You have to check it out. The food is amazing and it's so easy to do. HelloFresh, promo code DAILYJUNGLE30. Let's talk some baseball. Now, if you want to know why... Baseball's next free agency most likely is going to be the winter of Bryce. And if you have any question why his next contract might well be 400 mil or maybe maybe even a half a bill, if you still wonder these things, you're not paying attention. Five-time All-Star, NL MVP, Silver Slugger, and this cat is still just 25. He currently leads the National League in RBI, runs, walks, and OPS. He's second in slugging percentage, and he's hitting 315. What I'm saying is Bryce Harper is good at baseball. Bryce Harper is good at hitting home runs. He's so good at hitting home runs, he leads the majors in home runs. So the question becomes, how do you keep this guy from hitting them? Yell overrated at him like that moron Reds fan did, and he'll simply jump ship. Bryce Harper, one for three career with an RBI. Bryce Harper, high in the air, deep center. See you later. A monster shot the other way. Bryce, don't do that. Don't yell overrated at the guy or he'll just go oppo. Try to pitch the guy outside the way Tyler Anderson of the Rockies did on Sunday, and then he will take you deep. So in other words, if shouting at this guy and throwing outside do not work, your best chance to get him out is just to shatter his bat. But apparently, that doesn't work either. Let's go to the top of the first. It's City Field last night. Nats v. Mets. Bryce Harper versus Jacob DeGrom. Bryce Harper v. Physics. Here's the pitch. Swung on. A broken bat. Fly ball to deep right center field. Nimmo back of the warning track at the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. He broke his bat. And he hit a home run. Unbelievable. Bang. Zoom goes Bryce Harper. His major league leading eighth home run of the year, RBI number 15. Nats Radio, if you're watching along on CBS Sports Network, that is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I mean, I love the sound of the crack of the bat. 
the sound of the crack of the bat, and that was as crisp and clean a crack of the bat as you're ever going to hear. That was the loudest crack of the bat that I've heard since the last time I listened to Marlins Will Soar. Let's play ball, it's Sounded like that kind of. Only this crack of the bat was not some overdone sound effect in Scott Stapp studio. This crack of the bat was the actual crack of the bat, as in the bat cracking. All this guy had left after that was a toothpick in his hands. 33 and a half inch, 31 and a half ounce bat reduced to a shard. And this guy still got it out of the yard. You see a bat bust like that? Normally it's a slow infield or roll, infield roller, maybe a lazy fly ball, but there was nothing lazy about that. Mets center fielder Brandon Nimmo kept going back, 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 and then finally ran out of space. So what did Bryce make of it? What did Bryce think? Quote, barreled it up pretty good. It just broke and it kept going. <laughs> what kept going? The ball or the bat? Because the ball went 406 and the bat was fielded by the first base coach. Even DeGrom seemed pretty impressed by it. He was asked. He said, quote, yeah, that was pretty shocking. I heard the bat break, and then I looked. I saw Nimmo just going back. So I was like, oh, well, I guess that's out of here. You got to think, this guy's got to be feeling so good about himself. Yeah, I just broke him off. He's holding on to the bat handle. Did my job, except that the ball just kept going. I mean, honestly, that's the best way to handle it if you're a pitcher. There's really not much more you can say or do. You busted this guy's bat, and he still crushed it to right-centered. You did your job. He did his job. He just did his job much better than you did your job. In fact, he did his job better than pretty much anybody else in the game can do their job. If you're a pitcher and you leave a batter holding a splinter, you did a really nice job. It's just that usually that splinter didn't send the ball 400 feet. And yes, I'm well aware that Bryce flexed on his way back to the dugout. You might not like that. It might be unbaseball of him. It might be, once again, the violation of the code. But honestly, if I shattered my bat and I still hit it 400 plus, I'm not only going to flex my biceps, I'm going to go full Mr. Universe. I'd be showing off the lats, the traps, the delts, the pecs, and the quads. And as I've said before, you don't have to like Bryce Harper, but you do have to respect Bryce Harper. And you might want to appreciate him too, because while this guy may be many, many things, he is not overrated and he is not weak. Those two things are not on that list. Say what you want about the baseball. Say what you want about the guys playing the game. Not very often you see a guy holding onto the bat handle and that ball still going 406. Man, this cat is strong. Bang, this cat's good. goes Bryce Harper. And this dude's putting himself in line to get a half a bill with a B. Half a bill. And he's 25. And he's going to come free and clear. He and he bat. just did that. 1-800-636-8686. How do you not respect that guy? You don't have to like him, but how do you not respect him? Overrate this. <laughs> Overrate this is right. What do you want to hit? Now is the time to call the program because in the third hour, it's going to be tough to get through. We're going to have back-to-back interviews at the top of hour number three. We're wide open in the middle of the second part of the program. Sixers beaten last night. Joel Embiid frustrated. He said he's bleeping, getting tired of being babied. He wants to play. Got no problem with it. This is what my man's all about. It's part of that social life. Social media. He goes right to Instagram. The guy wants to be out there. He's tired of waiting. He's frustrated. I get it. Brett Brown said, I get it too. We know he wants to be out there. We know he wants to be with his teammates. Essentially, they're protecting him from himself. Luke tweets, as soon as Bryce hit that ball, he knew he was getting testing for juicing. Whatever, if you got nothing to hide. At Headstrom Bacon tweets, maybe Dusty Baker can make a few toothpicks out of Bryce Harper's broken bat. That's true. And maybe a few wristbands, too. My guest is Jarvis Landry. Jarvis, really nice to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Good, bud. Good. Listen, you were in the building yesterday for the first time or the first day of team meetings and everything else. How was that experience, and what's it been like being a member of the Browns so far? Oh, man, it's, it's amazing. You know, just the appreciation here. Um, you know, from, you know, the coaches to Mr. Dorsey himself, 
uh, D, Jimmy, Haslam, the owners, um, you know, just their appreciation. And obviously for me, man, just getting back around football again. You know, it's been exciting to see the guys and be in the building um, and working out together with everybody. So um, it's fun. Jarvis, it seems like, and it sounds like you've been there much longer than you have, but you really haven't been there that long at all. You're not just a member of that team, but since you came over from Miami, you've already become one of the faces of that franchise. So what's that mean to you, and then how are you approaching that responsibility? Uh, you know, it means everything, you know, and it's part of the commitment that, um, you know, I made to the Browns and the Browns made to me, you know. Um, and for me, man, the responsibility is just, um, lead these guys in a way that I know how to lead, you know, uh, by example, um, and, and put put games together, you know, um, be uh, be everything that I can be uh, to make sure that happens. You know, I think that that's the biggest responsibility um, that has put on been put on my shoulders. Right, so what about the vibe of the team itself? You know, there hasn't been success there lately, but you know you've got guys who badly want to win. You're already trying to lead from the front in the sense that you're trying to get your new teammates to come down to Miami and work out with you as much as possible. How would you describe the vibe around the team and the guys you've talked to so far? How do they feel about the potential for this team? It's a lot of excitement. It's a lot of excitement. You know, uh, and there's a lot of new guys in the building, uh, me being one of them. Um, but I, I, I'll say that just the energy – um, just the morale of the guys that have played in Cleveland for a while um, or was a part of the team last year. You know, just the morale of those guys, the spirit, um, knowing that, you know, the organization is doing everything that they can possibly uh, to make sure that we have a chance to contend, you know, for the North and also for a championship. So, you know, uh, the spirits are really high right now. Jarvis Landry joining us. You talk about contending for the division, even a championship. So, like, what's your time frame? As an example, you come in there, Tyrod Taylor comes in, you've got some draft picks coming as well. How much urgency is there to get this thing turned around and fast? I mean, you, you look at it, Jim. Just looking at, just looking at how uh, Mr. Dorsey and, and D and Jimmy and, all, and everybody part of Cleveland organization, how, you know, the moves that have been made, you know, and also then having the first and fourth pick. You know, uh, the mentality and attitude is just to win now, you know, and I think we're gaining all the pieces and putting all the things together that we need to do to ensure that uh, we can be contenders, competitors um, in our division and around the league. I'll tell you what, Jarvis, when you say to me, you, you look at it, Jim, and you tell me, I'll tell you what I see. I see an offense that's got a guy in Tyrod Taylor who I think was underappreciated. I see a guy in Josh Gordon who's got the upside to be one of the best ever. I see Carlos Hyde. I see you coming in. How explosive does that offense feel to you, and what's its upside? Um, it, it, again, it's exciting. You know, uh, you know, signing Josh back, having Corey Coleman. You know, um, um, you mentioned guys like Tyrod Taylor. Carlos Hyde, you know, David Njoku, you could throw in that mix as well, who had a phenomenal rookie campaign um, at four tight end. Um, and it's just something, again, that the Cleveland Brown organization is creating the, the whole atmosphere, the whole environment to win now. You know, and it could be that much more special um, when we put these draft picks together um, and bring these guys in um, to make a change, to make a difference, and bring the culture back to Cleveland where it belongs. Jarvis Landry, my guest. You know, it all seems kind of natural when you look at your college career, big-time college career, you come into the NFL and you do something that's never been done before. But if you go way back, you're from Convent, Louisiana. Jarvis, a town of less than 1,000 people. I could say, I could argue the fact that you and I, even having this conversation, given where you came from, is absolutely amazing. When we spoke a couple of years back, we talked about your mother and the sacrifice that she made working long shifts every single day. As you've approached your NFL career and you understand the work that's gone into getting to where you are right now, do you find that you appreciate what she did even more now than you did back then? Oh, man, so much. You know, so much. And, you know, I credit a lot of my life and a lot of the things that I've, I've had success into her. You know, uh, just I, I remember all the sacrifices, you know, and all the things that she taught, showed me, like work ethic and, and, and sacrifice and all these things that she didn't have to explain to me what it was. You know, as I grow up, as I grew up and I'm starting to understand all the things that she did for our family, all the things that she did for me, my brother, to make sure that we had, to make sure that uh, we would absolutely be in a, put in a position um, to to have a future, you know, and... Um, that was part of this deal, man. It was that that was so emotional for me, you know, signing that contract and having her here with me um, was, was just so emotional because, you know, it was it wasn't just for me, you know, it, it was definitely for that woman and uh, my mom who, who was the love of my life. 
Jarvis Landry, that's great. I mean, I wonder on some level, what's more important? What means more to you? The fact that you are living your dream and realizing your dreams or the fact you're able now to take care of your family, something that you set out to do from the very beginning? Uh, you know what, man? I feel like it all. I've only had two dreams for so long, and I was taking care of my family and playing football, you know, and I, I, I think I'm able to do that now. So, so it's, it's a blessing. I can't thank nobody but God, man. Jarvis, a couple of things before you go. You mentioned your brother, your brother Gerard. What about the role he played in your development as a football player and a person? How influential was he? Man, just being my idol, just being my mentor, just being an ear if I needed to bounce things off of, um, giving me advice. You know, I've always looked up to my brother. Um, he's seven years older than me, and even in the beginning, you know, I've always wanted to walk like him, talk like him, be just like him, you know, and uh, he's taught me mostly everything that I know. You know, and he's still in my corner to this day, um, helping me out. You know, as a big brother should. You know, he's been a father figure. He's been more things to me than I could even imagine or even speak about. Um, and again, man, I, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful to have great people around me, great family around me. It means everything. Dude, you called your mother the love of your life and your brother your idol, man. I'm getting really moved up in the studio. I got one more thing I want to ask you about. You take a step away from the field for a moment, and you hosted the Jarvis Jam last month in Miami. It raised more than $100,000 for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I know it's a cause very close to your heart. It's one that you've represented on your cleats even in the past. It goes back to a close friend of yours, Maya Zimmer. Who was she? What was she like? She's a beautiful human being. Uh, I'm smiling now just thinking about her and talking about her just you know, um, our relationship, um, the, the, the things that, you know, we went through, um, and just even being a kid back then, you know, being a kid back then and um, all, all the things that she's she's done for my life, you know, and one of the promises that I've made to her, that I made to her was, you know, to always support that cause, to always support cystic fibrosis, to always continue to raise awareness. And um, the night I got traded was actually the night that um, that I had the event. And, you know, as emotional as it was for me, you know, I, I didn't even think twice about not going or feeling embarrassed or feeling uh, ashamed or anything because I just got traded from a team that I got drafted to. You know, it was her night, you know, and I will remember the day that, you know, I got traded, quote, unquote, um, as, as the night that I celebrated life, the, the night that I brought more awareness to a cause that, um, that struck a family you know, that struck my family, that that struck, struck, strikes many families around the world, you know, and um, I always remember that night as that. All right, let's talk golf. I mean, a major, major chunk of this audience plays golf, so you can relate to this. How about the sweet, swift international justice to switch up on a Tuesday? How about a look inside an Australian courtroom for the sentencing of a knife-wielding maniac? How about a story? All right, and again, think about the guys that you roll with. Think about your crew. Think about your weekly foursome. How about a story of a couple of golfers who tee it up as best friends, but end that round early as a victim and a suspect? Now, I've been at this game a long time. Long time. I can truthfully say that I can't ever remember, and I've done lots of stories about golf rounds that went awry. I don't think I could ever remember a time when a dude had to get airlifted off of a golf course because his mate attacked him with a knife. But that's exactly what happened last year in Victoria, Australia. And yes, it happened last year. It's not a Matt in L.A. reset. It happened last year, but there's an update right now. Apparently, last August, three guys grabbed the bats. Three friends. Three friends grabbed the bats. And they hit up this track after watching a boxing match. You know how it is. You watch a couple of guys box. You feel a little violent, maybe. But that's not what this is. One of the guys, Matthew McKay, had sucked back a few too many Fosters, I guess. Because a couple of holes into that round, this guy starts to carve the green with the flagstick. And he's wrecking the putting surface. I don't know what this guy's doing. I don't know if he's playing tic-tac-toe on the green. I don't know if he's making faces, little artwork. But he's jacking up the green altogether. He's wrecking the putting surface. One of his boys calls him on it and says, come on, man, really? Just stop. Stop, bro. McKay did stop. He stopped, but only long enough so he could go to his car, reportedly, grab a folding blade, and start swinging on his guys. 
perfectly logical reaction, right? Your dudes ask you to stop wrecking a golf course, so you start trying to stab them. You call out your bro for carving up the green. His response is to carve you up. Unfortunately for everybody involved, he successfully stabbed his buddy, Simon Mudd. Got him right in the thigh and hit a massive artery. Alvy. The problem with Alvy is Alvy's done this long enough that, like, I'll say, Alvy, here's my take. Here's what I want to talk about. Here's where I'm going to go. And Alvy's listening, listening. Oh, yeah. This is a good place for me to put in my ah drop. It's not cool, huh, Alvy? The guy got stabbed. Hit a massive artery. You got to hate drunk friends, right? You have to hate drunk friends. Every group has one. The one guy that you can never trust when you go out and you do a crawl or you hit a few bars. Every group has one. You have to drink, hate drunk friends. Always stabbing you in the thigh after a few pops. There's some real talk. How many pops before you throw a knife at your best friend? How many? Five, 10, 30? This poor dude was airlifted to a nearby hospital that saved his life, but only after he lost three liters of blood. This guy was minutes from dying. This dude nearly lost his life after his best friend stabbed him for telling him to stop carving up the greens. That'd be the worst way to go ever. Worst way ever. Or at least it would have been if they didn't get him there just in time. All right, so that was last summer. Fast forward eight months later to the present day. Judgment Day. And if you thought Matthew McKay was a dangerous knob before, wait to hear his priors. Now, before I get there, here's the honorable county clerk judge with some sobering words for Mr. McKay. Upon sentencing, the judge says, quote, Simon was your best friend. He considered you his brother. And he's bewildered and saddened that he could be so hurt and damaged by someone that he's known his whole life. He is short-tempered and has lost trust in people. End quote. Can't blame this dude for losing trust. Of course he lost trust in people. His best friend went all Orenthal on him. Who, again, Alvin, thank you. Who amongst us would trust anybody after getting stabbed by one of our boys on a golf course? If you can't trust your friend not to stab you during a round of golf, who can you trust? I mean, really. And furthermore, come to find out this was no one-off. And of course it wasn't. Of course McKay is not a first-time stabber. Of course not. Why would he be? If you have that kind of switch and you can stab somebody like that in that context and not in a, like, I'm in a battle for my life kind of way with some assailant, like I ripped the knife out of their hand and I stabbed them because it was either me or him, but rather I'm arguing with one of my boys and I'm going to stab him. If you have that in you, you know he's done it before and he had. This psychopath apparently got wasted and stabbed a female neighbor in the thigh nine years ago. Dude, what is it with you and knives and thighs? Man, stop stabbing people in the thigh. But then again, you know what they always say, right? I don't know about you. My old man would always tell me this growing up. Once a thigh stabber, always a thigh stabber. You know, things like nothing good ever happens after midnight. Once a thigh stabber, always a thigh stabber. But this dude, man, straight maniac, running around, stabbing, unsuspecting people in the thigh. If it were me, I'd tack on another 50 years behind the 20 months that you gave this dude. Because once he's out, he's going to stick someone again. What if somebody looks at him the wrong way? What if he's running in some rec league, is wide open, and doesn't get the rock? I mean, this dude's solution to everything is reach for the blade. I know this. Behind bars, someone's getting stabbed because this cat is a serial thigh stabber. He's going to get someone or someone's going to get him first preemptively. Hopefully, justice has been served. Hopefully today, the golf courses of Australia are a little safer than they were yesterday. Word of advice for all you weekend hacks. Next time you see someone defacing the track, Instead of doing the right thing and confronting that guy, just bite your tongue. Bite your tongue because that doesn't hurt nearly as much as your thigh getting stabbed. Just ask, what's his face in Australia? Hit the artery, nearly bled out on the way to the airport.
course the guy's got trust issues. One of his best friends stabbed him. I wouldn't trust anybody after that ever again either. Paul Flannery. Paul, it is so good to have you back. How are things, Paul? Oh, Jim, thanks so much for having me. It's great. Great to have you. All right, so let me start with this. I had Neil Olshay on the show yesterday. We talked a little bit about your great piece on the relationship between Damian Lillard and the city of Portland. What do you think it is about that dynamic that makes that work so well as a marriage between a player and a city? You know, I think I think I think a couple of things. I think Damian, number one, um, really thought it was important wherever he went. If he was in Milwaukee, if he was in New York, if he was in Chicago, he would be trying to make the same inroads in the community that he that he does in Portland. And just the kind of person he is, he's a natural leader. But the city of Portland, as an NBA as an NBA city, just loves what he does. It's a perfect marriage between the two of them because, as he says, you know, we're both low maintenance. We're not looking for attention. We're not looking for spotlight. We just want to help people. And, you know, he's, he's a real authentic person, and Portland is a real authentic place, and they've just connected. All right, then. Paul Flannery joining us. Let me also ask you about the Celtics. Now, they're up one nothing in their series, but without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, there's a sense that they've got a ceiling on what they can realistically do this year. That said, how valuable are these playoffs for their younger guys, and how good can this team be when Irving and Hayward do return? It's huge for him, Jim. And, you know, people here don't really want to hear about it, but from the moment Gordon Hayward got hurt, everyone in the Celtics was, you know, was, was whispering, you know, look, this, seri- this season is about getting Jason Tatum experience and Jalen Brown experience. That's what this year is all about. Of course we're going to try to compete. And then all those guys started getting hurt, and he said, okay, this is really about getting those guys these reps and this experience. So, you know, it's not a win-win. It's, it's unfortunate. There's only so many years you have to compete with your best players, but – you know, from from the standpoint of what can we what can we make out of this? They've done a really nice job. I don't know how far it's going to take them. They might lose this this series against Milwaukee. They could get they could get to the conference finals. I, I I don't really know what to put on them right now. Clearly, this is not a championship team. Paul Flannery joining us. All right, then let me change up on you. Yesterday was the Boston Marathon, and we have talked distance running in the past, but I want to talk to you about serious distance running. You ran a 50K ultra marathon over the weekend. Before I ask you how the race itself went, what possessed you to do that, Paul? Because it was there. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think running the Boston Marathon last year was a weird experience for me. And um, when I got done with it, I wasn't quite sure what it was I needed to do next as a runner. And the trails were open. I'd never really explored them. And once I did, I just found it, it was for me. And so, you know, I thought it would be kind of poetic to do one on the same weekend as the Boston Marathon. It's this little event near where I live, and it's called Don't Run Boston. And, you know, it was an unmarked course with no spectators, and I thought, why not? All right, so it was unmarked. And then on Sunday you tweeted, I got lost, ran an extra two miles, and gashed my ankle on a rock, but I ran a bleeping ultra. Let's get into the details now. Where? Okay, you laid out where the run was, but what are we talking about in terms of elevation, elevation changes, and then how was the run? Okay, so I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about this, Jim, because I can talk about this all day. Good. Uh, it's 5,000 feet of elevation, and to give people some perspective, the Boston Marathon itself is 500 feet. And that's pretty much all contained within Heartbreak Hill and a couple of hills that lead up to Heartbreak. So this was 5,000 feet. This is like going up Heartbreak Hill 10 times. Hmm. And it was on rocky, uh, a lot of rock, um, a lot of scrambling, a lot of hands and knees going up and also coming down, which is really the hard part. And then, you know, it's in, uh, it's, it just sort of loops around and loops back upon itself in a number of places. Um, and it's the, one of the features of it is that you, this map is a little bit insane and it's an unmarked course. It sounds pretty horrible to me, actually, Paul, because <laughs> i got to be straight, man. The elevation, the rocky terrain, the fact that it's unmarked, I'm going to get lost no matter what. So when you're in the middle of something like that, say you do get lost, say you have to run an extra two miles, say you're bleeding from your ankle, what is your mind doing? I mean, at that point, is it as much a mental and psychological battle as it is a physical battle? Oh, 100%. 100%. I knew I was finishing it. You know, physically, I knew I could do, I could do the distance. But so it was mile 22. I lost touch with my pack, which who knew where they were going. So at that moment, I said, this is the one place I don't want to lose them. And, of course, I did. And, of course, I went in the wrong direction and almost wound up back on the highway somehow and had to kind of retrace, regather myself, and then just say, okay, look, you have a map with you. You know where you are, basically, <laughs> and get back to the point. I had to ask a hiker to get back on, on track. And at some point I did, and I realized that I'd probably put in an extra mile, mile and a half, maybe even two miles onto it, and that's just the way it was going to be. So, you know, I did the last five miles with another runner, and we just made a pact that we are going to get each other across the finish line, and we did. Paul Flannery joins us. You know, Paul, in his book, when I talk about 
when I talk about or what I talk about when I talk about running. Haruki Murakami, the novelist, writes about an ultra he ran in. And at a certain point, he said every part of his body hurt, and then it all stopped hurting, and that he couldn't feel anything at all. Did you ever have a moment like that? No, I didn't, um, fortunately. (laughs) I I know what he's getting at, but I didn't. Didn't have any out-of-body experiences, but we did finish in a sleep storm. So I was which made me very happy that we did not get sleep in the earlier portion of the race and that we only had to do the last mile in that. I felt every single thing that you could possibly feel on that hurt, pain, um, you know, and also joy and jubilation at the finish. So it was, a, it was pretty much a great day, man. All right, so for those who don't know, how far is an ultra marathon? And then how does your body feel after you run one in the hours after and even the days after? So, yeah, 50K is 31 miles, not 32.5 or 32.7, which I wound up doing. Um, and then they go up. There's a 50-milers, there's 100-milers, there's 200-milers, there's one that go all the way up to 240, um, which are way beyond my comprehension at this point. And, you know, I mean, my body felt worked, but, I, you know, I took a little walk today. I feel pretty fine today. So, yeah, I should be back in Adam by next weekend. Good. So you got a piece up right now on SBNation.com about Avery Collins. He's an elite distance runner, and you talk about how cannabis is fueling him. Lay it out for me. Exactly who is he? Right, so Avery Collins is, you know, he's, he's an ultra runner. Um, he's a little new on the scene. He had a big, big year this past year, um, won a bunch of big races. And he's been pretty outspoken about his reliance on cannabis as um, something that helps him in training and also something that's a part of his lifestyle. So I went out to Colorado in late August and met him, and he took me on a run. We went on a run together, and I just sort of got into his mind a little bit. He's an interesting guy. Um, he is, he is a tremendous athlete and a tremendous runner, but he is one of the most mentally strong people I've ever met. And in the piece, I lay out my experience with it and found that the cannabis actually helped my mental mindset, um, deal with, you know, pain and fatigue and frustration and things of that nature. And, you know, I mean, I consider it a tool in the runner toolbox for me. It's not the most prevalent thing in my life, but it's something that has helped. All right, so what about him? Is that how he uses it? How does he incorporate cannabis into his training? Yeah, so he uses it a little more than I do. Um, and, you know, he uses it before runs, and uh, he uses the, the topicals, which are anti-inflammatories, quite a bit. He is adamant, and I have no reason to disbelieve him, that he has never done a race high, which is against the rules. Um, he's passed every drug test he's ever taken. And um, so it's, it's, like, it's a part of his life for sure. Um, I don't believe it defines him as such. Matt in L.A. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Rome. Sun is shining. Leave it to the 9-7 whole bag, Rich, to desecrate a great American like Harry T. Anderson. Rest in peace, my man. You made us happy on Channel 4 many an evening. Hey, Romy, but that's not why I called. I called to take a run at old script club security guard Roger Gardell. Hey, Gardell, remember the last time that a football game started without a kickoff? Yeah, me neither, you tool, because they always start with kickoffs. Stop messing with the NFL. Just uh, go ahead and cash all those damn checks you're getting and shut your pie hole. We don't want the kickoffs removed. It's an element of the NFL that goes back as far as red freaking Grange. Stop. So, hey, that's all I got today, Romy. Will Fred Dreyer or UC, USC alum Marcus Allen joining you on the podcast? Unwar LeBall James terrible hair transplant. My man, get something done about that. Outro. This dude's killing me. There's so many things about that phone call that are amazing. Hey, Matt, you know I got nothing but respect for you. I know you got my back like nobody else, but you just got to keep Red Grange's name out your mouth. A Red Grange blast. And even better, even better than him referencing the galloping ghost is the purpose of his call to crack on Roger Goodell for ripping the kickoff from the NFL. My man, did you just take a two-week nap and wake up? You want to talk about Philadelphia's big win in the Super Bowl? Hey, Matt, you know today is the 17th of April, right? That story is like weeks old. Hey, hey, Romy, my man, I want to talk about the horrible decision it is by the NBA to drop and institute a three-point shot. That's horrible. Romy, my man, what do you think about the American League instituting the designated hitter rule? 
I think that sucks, man. That's not the way baseball is meant to be played. Come on, man. Everybody's got a hat. Everybody's got a glove. Use them both, my man. Red Grange would never tolerate that. Romeo, my man, have you seen this kid for the Celtics? Bill Russell. Where did this guy come from? I love him. He's unbelievable. Romeo, my man. Goalies will never wear masks. Stupidest idea ever. Be a man. Stand between the pipes. Stand on your head. And if you need to use your face to stop that puck, you do it. Outro. The Smack Off is coming up. It's a summer event. It's going to be probably... I need an actual date for you, but go ahead and assume this. June. It's going to be in June. The Smack Off will be in June. I'm going to nail down a specific date soon, but it's going to be in June, so you should be working on it right now. This guy knows that. Let's go to Green Bay. Caleb in Green Bay. Caleb, what's going on? Uh, not much, Jim. Earlier today, you and Hawk were talking about things that lose their integrity after a few times going through the ringer, which reminds me, it was awful nice of Left to finally condescend to speak to you. That guy hasn't called in forever. He goes longer in between takes than Stanley Kubrick. Kawhi Leonard thinks that left needs to get on the court. And yesterday's offering was barely a couple free throws off the bench. I suppose it's not entirely his fault. I mean, how can we expect his joke writers to bang out a 30-second call in under an hour and give left time to practice? Don't worry, champ. I got your back. Type faster, monkeys. Also, Jim, now that the jungle calendar is coming to a close with the smack off on the horizon, I got to say... I'm feeling pretty great about my chances this year, but if I don't win, I have a good idea who will. Jeff Passan, although he's probably not even listening right now. I bet he's in his laboratory crafting his piping hot takes like clones don't have jobs. Yeah, revolutionary smack there, Jeff. What about clones like to drink and bake or clones can't meet women? I mean, why don't you just get us all a body bag next time and save yourself the trouble? Did you finish third in the 2017 smack-off or a 1993 episode of Star Search? The only thing that's missing from your punchlines is a hearty Ed McMahon. Hey, I can just picture his call later this year, Jim. He starts off with a bad Johnny Carson impersonation. Well, uh, I just had lunch with uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yes, it was wild. He, uh, he asked for the check, and they brought out Dominic Hushik. Hey, you're a professional writer, for God's sake, Pat, and act like it. Lastly, Jim, I'm watching the show on TV today. When did you hire Keith Hernandez? I bet Hawk wears those ridiculous shirts to keep the focus away from his dye job. But don't worry, Hawk. It looks so natural, no one can tell on Wisconsin. Wow, Caleb. Rock him. Well, Hawk, at least you can focus on something else. Your bad dye job. The Smack Off is coming up. It's a summer event. It's going to be probably, I need an actual date for you, but go ahead and assume this, June. It's going to be in June. The smack-off will be in June. I'm going to nail down a specific date soon, but it's going to be in June, so you should be working on it right now. This guy knows that. Let's go to Green Bay. Caleb in Green Bay. Caleb, what's going on? Uh, Not much, Jim. Earlier today, you and Hawk were talking about things that lose their integrity after a few times going through the ringer, which reminds me, it was awful nice of Left to finally condescend to speak to you. That guy hasn't called in forever. He goes longer in between takes than Stanley Kubrick. Kawhi Leonard thinks that left needs to get on the court. And yesterday's offering was barely a couple free throws off the bench. I suppose it's not entirely his fault. I mean, how can we expect his joke writers to bang out a 30-second call in under an hour and give left time to practice? Don't worry, champ. I got your back. Types faster, monkeys. Also, Jim, now that the jungle calendar is coming to a close with the smack off on the horizon, I got to say, I'm feeling pretty great about my chances this year. But if I don't win, I have a good idea who will. Jeff Passan, although he's probably not even listening right now. I bet he's in his laboratory crafting his piping hot takes like clones don't have jobs. Yeah, revolutionary smack there, Jeff. What about clones like to drink and bake or clones can't meet women? I mean, why don't you just get us all a body bag next time and save yourself the trouble? Did you finish third in the 2017 Smack Off or a 1993 episode of Star Search? The only thing that's missing from your punchlines is a hearty Ed McMahon. hey I can just picture his call later this year, Jim. He starts off with a bad Johnny Carson impersonation. Well, uh, I just had lunch with uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yes, it was wild. He, uh, he asked for the check, and they brought out Dominic Hushik. hey You're a professional writer, for God's sake, Pat, and act like it. Lastly, Jim, I'm watching the show on TV today. When did you hire Keith Hernandez? 
I bet Hawk wears those ridiculous shirts to keep the focus away from his dye job. But don't worry, Hawk. It looks so natural, no one can tell on Wisconsin. Wow, Caleb. Rock him. Well, Hawk, at least you can focus on something else. Your bad dye job. <laughs> Go ahead, man. What's up? I'm like dead gray. How is how is my hair tied? What the hell is he talking about? What's up, Keith? Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.